Titus chapter 2, verse 1. So what I did was last week we started a conversation about God's grace, and we really just kind of dove into like, what does this look like? Who is grace? What does grace mean for us? And we find right here in this passage that grace is not a what, grace is a person. And I mentioned this passage last week, and I want to kind of take a really good look at what's happening in this passage. Uh, And I think what we're going to find from Titus chapter one or chapter two is that Paul is going to set up like, okay, here's what grace filled living looks like. If you have encountered grace, then this is what your life is going to look like when you've encountered the grace of God. That once grace has come on you and you've encountered this grace of Jesus, then you're going to, that grace is going to overflow from your life and you're going to live a grace-filled life, okay? So this is what Paul is going to set up for us, a lot of practical things uh, in this passage. So if you're ready or not, we're going to get this thing going. Chapter 2 of Titus. Titus is a brother man who I think is an incredible name. If you're looking for a name for a son, that'd be a, a bad name, Titus. He's in the Isle of Crete. Crete is outside of, inside the Mediterranean. If you just think of like a Vegas on an island, that's Crete, all right? Uh, pirates and all these weird things happening. So Titus, the pastor, is there in a very hostile environment. Um, and so Paul is writing him this letter, just kind of encouraging him to continue on. You got to live right, do right, think right. And if it weren't for the gospel, then none of this would be possible. So that's kind of the context of the book of Titus uh, that we have this morning. So here we go. Titus chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses and see what the Lord wants or has for us this morning. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. That just means stealing so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Again, one more time, let us pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who's come in this room. It's not an accident, but by your divine sovereignty that you've brought them here. And perhaps they may be looking for some revelation or word. I thank you, God, that your word just spoke to us. Your word is the infallible God-breathed word for us today to sharpen our hearts and our minds and turn us back away from ourselves towards you, God. And when I'm done, I pray, Jesus, that people will not see me, but God, their eyes will be lifted towards you, 
Jesus Christ. It's in your beautiful name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I talked about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not, and we we discovered that the gospel is not this syllabus, this thing to be followed after, but it kind of sounds like Paul just gave us a list of things to do, right? It seems like Paul is your mama here, and he's like, okay, after you get through taking out the garbage, you need to do this, do the dishes, do this and that and that. And so we, we almost get this like, when I read this, I find like this is kind of like a diet to follow after. Anybody ever been on a diet before? One or two of you, okay. So, hello, my name is Matthew, and so I, I have this strict diet that I follow after, and it's not because I'm trying to be healthy, but it is because I'm trying to be healthy, but I have to, okay, because of my weird body. Okay, anyway, to get further away from being disgusting, okay, anyway. So what I found is, is that I, as I kind of moved away from all of the bad southern food that I was accustomed to and started eating clean and, and all of these lean foods and all of these different types of things, I found that, behold, I got healthier. Diets do actually work. Paul is giving us this thing, like, if you will just stick with the diet, stick with what I'm telling you to do, then you will have a spiritually healthy lifestyle. Because if you need a spiritually healthy lifestyle, you can't just act and do as if you please. You can't do the ways of your own self. You have to stick to a regimen that is biblically unsound. And this is what Paul is laying out for us. You want to experience the goodness of God, if you want to experience the grace of God, then you've got to live out the grace of God. Because this is what happens the moment that grace encounters your life. It overflows from your life. This is a grace-filled life. If you want to see what a grace-filled life looks like, then reread what we just read. Paul gives it to us. And he talks to four different people here. He talks to older men, older women, and as young men, right? That was a joke. And as, uh, and as young women, I'm not, not us young women, I'm not a woman, but you get what I'm trying to say here. So, so here's what Paul gives us. He gives us three things, all right? Three things are found in this passage about living a grace-filled life. Because living a grace-filled life, hear this now, is our witness to the world, okay? Living a grace-filled life is our witness to the world. Here's how we, we three, three ways this practically flows out. Grace-filled living is our witness in the world and in our home. He starts with older men. Now, one instruction that he gives the older men is to endure. Did you guys see that? Older men, endure. Now, this is just from my perspective of of pastoring for a number of years. Something that I, I see I could definitely see this in myself as I get older, is the tendency to kind of just coast through life. I I found that in my pastoring over the years, I found that the older that men get, the kind of a, we want to just kind of take our hands off of the wheel and just start to coast our way through life, right? It's just this idea that as we get older, I'm not useful anymore, that I'm just going to just kind of stand in the background, I'm not needed anymore. I'm just going to get old and grumpy. Now, I'm not saying that's you if you're an older man in this room. I'm saying that I could see Matthew turning into some old ornery fart and who's just a turd to everyone, right? 
don't judge me. Because I've seen this in older men in my pastoring. We just want to get older and grumpy. And, but look what the, the call that Paul gives older men to endure, to stay in the fight. The older you get, men, the older you get, this does not mean the less involved you become in the church. It means that you are to endure. It means that you are to stay plugged in. It means that you are to identify the younger men and, and become their discipler and disciple them. Look what he says right here. He says, be self-controlled. That's an incredible exhortation that he gives older men. Be self-controlled because I think the older we get, like, don't you think that we're going to start thinking about what our needs are? Like, what are my needs? Like, my life accomplishments, is it going to be this big pile of money that I have accumulated over my life? It's a question you need to ask yourself the older you get. Then he says, be worthy of respect. Be sensible. Be sound in faith. In other words, don't become so cynical. All right, so this is something that, I mean, I'm almost 40, and, and I'm, I'm, I have to fight cynicism, Right? And so Paul's here laying out this for this argument for men, like, men, listen, the older you get, the more involved you have to stay. Older men, listen to me. A grace-filled life for you is for you to stay in the fight with your brothers and sisters in the church. Do you want to know what a grace-filled life looks for you, looks like for you? It looks like this, stay in the fight. I, I've heard this so many times, and I don't know if y'all say this out here west, but in the south, I would hear uh, older people come to me, and they, and they would say, you know what, I just, I'm just not feeling this young church vibe here. I feel like I'm just a fish out of water here. Now, cynical Matthew wants to give them the five-fold uh, hand of fellowship ministry, but I don't. I restrain myself from doing such things. But I look at them, and I'm telling you, do not know the word of God you have experiences that some of us younger folks don't. So why would you want to withdraw yourself from a church that may be a little younger than you are? I pray for more of older people. Especially here, we need you seasoned in your faith to pour yourself out into us younger folks. Older men, endure. Stay in the fight. You're needed that's what a grace-filled life looks for you. And then he says to the older women, yo, likewise, same thing. Older women, he says, the same is true for you. Paul says that older women need to be reverent. Now, I've got to be careful because I'm coming from a man's perspective. And again, I just want to give you my perspective and my observations from being a pastor. I feel like I have given myself plenty of room here to say some things that may come across offensive, and I hope they don't. If you are easily offended, here's a trigger warning for you. One of the things that I've noticed about younger, sorry, older generation is that we tend to lose our filter, right? Has anyone not noticed this before? Thank you. 
I've noticed that the older generation, we tend to lose our filter. And I want to say this, and I don't mean this by any disrespect, but one day what we perceive and what culture perceives as beauty, gravity is going to take effect on certain areas of the human anatomy. And I need all of my young people to really listen to this because this is very important. That will fade. Your kind of misconstrued idea of beauty is going to fade. But do you know, do you, do you know what's not going to fade and, and should not fade? Your character. One day beauty's going to fade. You're going to look completely different. And look, my name is, I mean, I'm, one day I'm going to be bald and, and just a lard dude, okay? I mean, I'll be some fat lard and I'll be bald and cranky. And so I think that my wife is still going to love me because of character. So older men, older women, hear this, this message Paul gives to you. Endure. Stay in the fight. Don't become too cynical of the next generation. Don't become too cynical of, of maybe methods or preferences. Because those things in the end don't matter. Isn't it just the message that matters of Jesus Christ? So let me move on. Okay, great. So look what he says. Now we're going to just kind of switch. and I'm going to be offensive to the younger women and the uh, younger men. Now, now, if you notice what he said when he was talking to the younger women, like, didn't it seem like he was just telling the women, yo, get back in the kitchen, girl? Like, didn't it seem like that? Like, he's like, he's like look, okay, young women, love your husbands and children, be self-controlled, and you better work at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, and the husbands should have said amen right there. But none of y'all were with me. That the word of God may be reviled. Now, I, I want to be careful here. This is not Paul telling the women to get back in the kitchen. This isn't. Like, but this is Paul saying that women, you do have a role in your homes, just like men and husbands and fathers. I, I have my role also in the home. I think there's something different in here. I think this is the woman and the mother, yes, does has a responsibility in the home, but you can't look at your home as this accessory that you have, or your kids are just some accessory. Like, you don't have kids to get some check. You don't have families just so you could fulfill yourself in life. You don't have husbands just so you can fulfill yourself, Christian moms and dads. We don't find ourselves, we don't find our fulfillment in careers or affairs or doing whatever. We find our fulfillment in serving God in our homes. We find our fulfillment in God by serving others, serving our children, making them, discipling them. And then he talks to the young women, or the young men rather, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I love that. I love this command for the young men. Be self-controlled. Interestingly, this is the only word of exhortation that he gives to young men. Why? Why is that? I think if you could boil down to the Achilles heel of young men, 
isn't it that we are ruled by our desires? Pleasure, recognition, control, sex, what, whatever you fill in that blank. But Paul here gives an incredible warning for us. You have to be self-controlled. So he's dealing with the home. You want to live a grace-filled life. It starts in the home. It starts with you enduring. It starts with you discipling your children. It starts with you discipling your home. And then it flows out of your home and into your workplace. This is not talking about, if you look at the next part, this is not talking about slavery here because grace-filled living is our witness in our workplace. Watch what he says. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, which is a weird word, uh, which means stealing, not showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So our work, what we do, our profession, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, more props to you, but all things that you do, we put our hope and our love in God And we display God in our work. In other words, our identity is not what we do in our work. Our identity is defined in Christ. So I think you can kind of tease this out in three different ways with how we can live a grace-filled life in our own work. And I think the first one is integrity. Like I'm huge on integrity. You're not going to find Matthew Thrower on CNN or on Fox News for doing something ridiculous. You're not going to find me for embezzling money having the affair, right? Because I really affirm this, like integrity is huge. Likewise, in your work and and whatever line of work you do, integrity should be huge in your work. Excellence also should be there. And I'm not talking about perfection. You know, sometimes churches say, well, we, we value excellence and they think that that means perfection. I can go ahead and tell you, if you're looking for perfection in this church, Sorry, may have heard somebody cuss somebody out this morning in practice, but that's a joke, I think. They're still being sanctified. Integrity, excellence, servanthood. So while you're on your jobs, you should keep these things in mind. I'm doing this for the glory of God. It doesn't define me being a, um, whatever it is that you do in life doesn't define you, but you're doing it. You're going to do it for the glory of God. And then I want to read 11, 11 through 15 because we're going to see like this incredible lifting of a burden almost if you felt like you just had a burden placed on you. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives to the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So watch this. Gospel living flows from God's grace. Remember what we said at the beginning of this and remember what we said last week that grace is not a what. Grace is not a to-do list. Grace is a person. Christianity, likewise, is not a to-do list. Christianity is nothing about how successful you become, 
Christianity is not about how many good works or deeds you can do or you can accomplish in your lifestyle. Because if you can accomplish all of these great things, if you can do all of these good things, then God is going to be more pleased with you. That's kind of the idea sometimes we have with grace. Sometimes the idea that we have with Christianity is that if I could just do better, if I can just get this sin under control, God would love me just a little better. Do, not, do we not think that sometimes in our Christian faith? We think that if we just do better, we can earn God's favor. He'll rain the blessings of heaven down upon us. It's a, it's a bad view of grace. If we could see grace for who it really is, then it will change us. I know some of us feel the weight of enduring. Some of us feel the weight of being the godly parent that God's called you to be, being the godly employee or employer that God's called you to be. I know some of you feel the weight of that. But I want you to remind you that this is a diet that we're on. And sometimes we fail and sometimes we view diets as if we want the results now. I mean, that's at least what the magazines and the ads on Facebook tell you, that you can have your six-pack abs in four simple ways in two, two days. And you're like, sign me up, right? Like, we view this. Likewise, this is Christianity. And I just want to draw us back to that idea of a diet that we think that the moment grace comes, boom, we're turned into like these saints We've got it all under control. I just want to caution you that's not what it is. We have this word, it's called sanctification, and that just means that we're gradually growing more into the grace of God. And so, again, it's, it's, it's a diet. It's a process. But how can we make all this possible in our lives? Because you feel the weight of wanting to do better. You feel the weight of wanting to be a better parent or be a better spouse, be a better employee, employer, but that just feels like a weight. It feels like Paul just put a giant weighted blanket over us. So what do we do? He tells us what to do. When you fail at your marriage, you look to Jesus. You see this? When grace appeared, I love that. When grace appeared. Now, now just think about something appearing to you. Something beautiful. Something majestic. Something that is just it's captivating. What do you do? You look away? Oh, I've seen that before. No. Your eyes are fixated on that thing that is so glorious and that thing that is so beautiful. Maybe you've lived here your whole life, but I just got here a few months. There are certain areas in this town that my eyes catch, and I'm just like, God, that is the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. When I drive up to Zion, I'm like, good Lord, like you made that God. How? Because it's so captivating. It's majestic. This is what grace is. When grace appeared, this is the idea that we get. When grace appears, like we just cannot take our eyes off of it just because it's so majestic, it's so beautiful, and it's just so captivating. So when you feel like sometimes you got a burden on you, when you feel like you've screwed up something in your marriage, when you feel like you've screwed up something in your job or whatever, and you feel like a failure, what do you do? You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. 
You keep your eyes fixated on his grace that was poured out for you that you did not deserve. You did not earn it, nor can you ever earn his grace. It's this free gift that it gives you. And it's this gift that Paul would later say that it's just been lavished on you. So it's not just this one-time appearance of grace that you get. It's as if you've been waterboarded with the grace of God. Like God puts you in a fire hydrant that's been let loose, and you're just gurgling. Like, the grace of God is that incredible. Sorry for the weird analogies. This is how my weird brain works. This is God's grace. So when God's grace appears to us, it's so captivating. It takes us off of how much, how many times we screw up. It takes our eyes off of how many times we fail. And it keeps our eyes on Jesus. Do you know why? Because he didn't fail. Because the work of the cross of Christ accomplished it all for you. So now I just get to rest in it. So now the appearance of grace is before me. And all I got to do, y'all, is just sit there and gaze on the beauty of the cross of Christ that he poured out his blood for us. You want to look at grace, you look at Jesus Christ. You want to experience a grace-filled life, then you just look at Jesus for what he did. And you can watch the life of Jesus. Read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of the encounters that he gave people. What was it? It was an encounter of his grace. I'm particularly drawn to John's gospel, especially in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets up with this woman at a well, high noon of day. She's going there high noon of day just because she don't want to meet other folks. And there's a reason why she don't want to meet other folks. She meets Jesus there, and Jesus the Messiah, he sits down and he asks this woman, high noon of day, hot. He says, can I have a drink of water, please? So this woman looks at him and says, yo, you're, I don't know if she says yo, but she says, listen, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, that ain't how this works. We don't draw from the same well. We we don't drink from the same well. And Jesus, with grace and compassion in his eyes, what does he say to her? He says, woman, if you only knew who was asking you for water, you would be asking to drink of my water because I've got the living water. And once you taste the living water of my grace, you will never thirst again. He says to her, because that's not what just grace does. Grace just didn't find her. He's like, come drink of my water. What does he say to her? Go get your husband. Sir, I don't have a husband. You're right. You got five. There's the problem. There's why she's there at high noon. I don't know this story's back. I don't know this lady's background. I don't know if she's just terrible at picking men, which is obvious. You're on husband number five or six. You've may need to go some kind of therapy, right? You're not picking them right. I don't know what the problem is. She says to him, well, I suppose you're a prophet then. Indeed, duh, it's Jesus Christ. And she says, look, I know. Jesus goes on to tell her, he says, listen, there's gonna be a time when people worship me now 
in spirit and in truth. And she says the classic American response. You know what she says? I know. You know those people are really annoying. They know everything. Like you've just had this deep revelation. You go to them because you're so excited about it. You know what I'm talking about? And the person just looks at you in anguish. You're like, oh, I knew that. Don't you want to slap them, people? Am I the only one? Y'all pray for me. I know there's going to be a time coming. I know the Messiah. He's going to be coming. Blah, blah, blah. And Jesus looks at this lady with all grace and compassion in his eyes. And he says, I am he, the one who speaks to you. I'm the Messiah. That's what grace does. Grace appears before us and opens our eyes as it did this woman at the well who then goes and gets all the people and revival breaks out in a Samaritan town where they were viewed as dogs. That's what grace does. You see, when you and I have been encountered with grace, we have that same response. We cannot keep our eyes off of him. When grace appears to us, like we are so fixated on the beauty of Jesus Christ so that when we feel like we've got this burden, it's okay, we just look to Jesus. When we feel like this burden of just being a good person is just too much, it's okay, you just look to Jesus. That's grace. And that grace is available to anyone It's for you. Grace is here now. And Jesus Christ has poured out his grace for you. And all you got to do is just look at him for who he is. Look at Jesus, God in the flesh, who came to pour out his soul as a ransom, pour out his flesh, pour out his blood, and absorb the wrath of God so that you and I wouldn't have to do that. That's grace. And that's the grace that we're after. That's the grace that Jesus has come to give you. A grace so divine and so relentless that all we got to do is just rest in it and just look at Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on grace. When you've encountered grace, grace will overflow of your life. When you're failing, grace. When, when you're bothered, when you're just deeply in that, in that dark night of the soul, there's, there's grace. Just keep your eyes on Jesus, church. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I pray that we walk out of here. We don't think about how crazy the guy is that's in front of them yelling and the God that we would we would come up here just thinking about the grace so divine so incredible the grace that's so freeing from that burden of life freeing from the burden of sin freeing from the burden of just trying to do more God I pray that if there are people here that have never encountered your grace this morning God, would you just lavish it out on them? Pour your grace on them, God. 
more than anything in this life, more than success, more than from just kind of checking off the to-do list, more than being a better person, more than any of those things that we think we need, what we truly need is your grace. I need your grace. I'm a failure at a parent sometimes. I'm a failure at a husband. I'm a failure at a pastor. I'm a failure at all things. And I need your grace. So God, I fix my eyes on you. I I gaze on your beauty and your majesty. And I gaze on the cross of Christ that that there was this display of grace for me. That, That there on the cross was this display of your grace. That you took my place. You know, all I got to do is just look at you. Just believe. Take hold. Just grab hands with faith. God, for those who are hurting here this morning, may they experience your grace. For those who need your salvation this morning, and salvation is here now, give them your grace. For those who need healing in their marriage, I pray for grace. For those who need healing in their, with their children and and a wayward child, I just pray your grace. Those who are just struggling, they just feel like they don't want to live anymore, I pray your grace. Those who are battling depression, I pray your grace. Those who are battling anxiety and restlessness, your grace. Grace is there. For grace has appeared to bring salvation. In Jesus' name.